0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. My name is J.P. Hornstra with the Southern California News Group. Clayton Kershaw is coming back. Justin Turner might not be. Tyler Anderson is signing with the Angels. It is the offseason, folks. Up and running like a Ruth Goldberg contraption. people even know what a root gold bird contraption is anymore they're more stable than an ftx serum account if that's more in line with your frame of reference anyway welcome back i took a little break at the end of the season to clear my baseball brain and now i think we're outside the statute of limitations for congratulating the world series champion is that right late let me let me check The rule on that, and yeah, we're clear. Okay, phew, all right. I I rather awkwardly stumbled into full off-season mode this afternoon. I was feeding my lunch to my nine-month-old. This is Tuesday. She starts slowing down. I start looking at my phone because I got an email saying that Anderson was on the list of players who rejected the qualifying offers. So I think, all right, cool, here I'm going to open up Twitter. Twitter app for some reason was on the home setting so I'm not seeing the most recent tweets in my timeline first. I actually hide Twitter from my home screen as soon as the season ends. I don't delete the app entirely from my phone but I just don't want it to be one of the first things I see when baseball is out of season. I get enough of that in season. So I open it up for the first time in days and Twitter is on the home setting And no one's tweeting about Anderson signing this three-year, $39 million contract with the Angels, or at least that's what it looks like to me. So I retweet, I think it was Mark Feinsand who had the full list of qualifying offer decisions, and I write, okay, this means Anderson is going to be a free agent. Meanwhile, 20 minutes earlier, the news had already broken on Twitter about the Angels agreeing to terms with Anderson. So now I look like an idiot. took about 10 seconds for three people to point out to me that this had already been reported and 10 more seconds, somebody would have had to mansplain the entire Twitter app to me because clearly I didn't know what was going on. Look, I could rant a lot more about Twitter. Believe me, (laughs) there's a lot more in there. I actually think Elon Musk is intentionally sending the whole operation down the drain and I would welcome that, but I'm saving that rant for, my Believe in Face-to-Face Social Interactions podcast, coming soon wherever podcasts are streamed. Uh, Today is a solo episode, and we have lots of news to recap. I hope you've had a chance to read my end-of-season free agent series for the Southern California News Group, in which I attempted to revive what was probably the most popular feature of my newsletters, back when I was writing newsletters multiple times a week. The last installment in the six-part series went out to subscribers on Tuesday, and you can subscribe to that newsletter for free. Go to dailynews.com or ocregister.com, any of the SCNG websites. Click on Newsletters. You can find Inside the Dodgers right there. My name is still on the masthead. Yes, there's a masthead. uh, But my actual words appear in the newsletter only sporadically. Now, this last week was an exception to that rule. I think the newsletter will be the primary receptacle for my off-season coverage since I'm not covering the winter meetings in person. I, I don't know. You don't want to see that sausage until it's made. So just go ahead, subscribe to the newsletter. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. The newsletter works just like podcasts. Easy peasy. Tuesday was the deadline for teams to protect eligible players from the Rule 5 draft by adding them to their 40-man roster. Now, what that means is, usually after six years in a team's system, a minor league player can be drafted by any of the other 29 teams after the season, at the winter meetings. It's called the Rule 5 draft. And if you take a player in the Rule 5 draft, you can keep him. You have to keep him on your 26-man Major League roster for the entire season. Injured list stints accepted. So for the Dodgers, you look at a prospect like Andy Pius, Cuban outfielder. He's 21 years old. He's never played a game above AA. Had more strikeouts than hits at AA while batting .236 last year. Would some team actually take him? In the Rule 5 draft, knowing they have to keep him on their roster for all of 2023, abso stinking lootly they would. If you're the Oakland A's and you know you're going to be bad next season, you look at Pajas as a top 100 prospect that you can have for free. All you have to do is promote him a year early, ride out the rough patches in his development. After that, he's all yours. He's part of the A's organization, no strings attached. This is how the Pittsburgh Pirates got Roberto Clemente from the Dodgers. It's how Phillies got Shane Victorino from the Dodgers. To cite a non-Dodgers example, this is how Josh Hamilton went from the Tampa Bay Rays to the Cincinnati Reds, kind of. The Cubs actually took Hamilton in the 2006 Rule 5 draft, then traded him immediately to the Reds for cash. We can talk about the other three players... The Dodgers protected on Tuesday, besides Pajes. There is Diego Cartaya, the Venezuelan catcher. There's Michael Bush, the infielder, and outfielder, Johnny DeLuca. I think of those guys, Bush is the only one you're likely to see in Los Angeles in 2023. He can play first base, second base, plays a little left field. He has most of a full Triple A season under his belt. He's a left handed hitter, he's a top 100 prospect. Think maybe Zach McKinstry with a little more power, a little less versatility. You'll see him in 2023. As for the other guys, Pajes might figure out AAA pitching ahead of schedule and make himself impossible not to promote. Cartaya might rocket up three levels of the organization in one season. Stranger things have happened. One year, Brock Stewart and Andrew Tolles did the exact same thing. That was in 2016 it just doesn't usually happen with catchers especially young ones deluca and pajes have similar profiles neither has played above AA. a deluca's 25 pajes is 21 and the dodgers might be more apt to promote an older player if he shows signs of reaching that aging curve quicker just remember 9 times out of 10 teams aren't putting these players on their 40-man roster just to get them to the big leagues any faster. They're doing it to prevent them from becoming the next Roberto Clemente or Shane Victorino. With that said, don't worry about the prospects who didn't have their names called on Tuesday. So Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, Landon Knack, some of these highly touted pitchers you've been hearing about aren't eligible for the Rule 5 draft this season. The Dodgers will only promote them when they have to. And if any Dodgers are taken in the Rule 5 draft at the winter meetings, well, when's the last time you heard anything about Jordan Sheffield or Brett Degus? These are the last players that the Dodgers had taken off their roster in the Rule 5 draft. I guess Connor Joe is having an okay run in Colorado, but Remember, that's his third organization since he was Rule 5 off of the Dodgers' roster in December 2018. It is not very likely that the Dodgers will regret the moves they made or didn't make on Tuesday some years on down the road. I'll throw one more journalistic sausage-making note in here because I find it interesting. Reporters get all kinds of texts from agents on rule five protection day every year why because they want to know if their guy is getting a 40 man roster spot it's a big big day for these young men even if it doesn't bring them any closer to the big leagues in any practical sense in a symbolic sense it's very helpful to their careers because they are automatically invited to major league spring training in february that's a big deal it's an opportunity most professional ball players don't get. I mentioned that this is a newsy week. Manager of the Year awards were given out on Tuesday. Dave Roberts finished second. Buck Showalter finished first. It was close. Neither guy was listed on all 30 ballots. And if I can rant a little bit about the awards... That's how it should be. I find the manager of the year the most difficult award to vote on simply because the things that make managers good or bad, most of it takes place behind closed doors. Reporters only get a vague sense of that. Uh, We just happen to vote on the awards. I hate it when I have to vote on it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. This year I had a National League Cy Young Award vote Those will be announced on Wednesday. You will be finding out who was on my ballot very soon. MVPs get announced on Thursday. And by Friday, the Dodgers have to decide whether to tender Cody Bellinger a 2023 contract. Let's talk about that for a little bit because I don't think that decision is obvious. No matter what the Dodgers front office says publicly, Cody Bellinger is not going to be able to continue trading on his 2019 MVP award. That will not keep him employed in 2023. Look, I know batting average isn't everything, but just to illustrate my point, through mid-May of the 2019 season, Cody Bellinger was flirting with a 400 batting average. Tom Verducci was writing about it. Immediately, the Sports Illustrated jinx kicked in. He finished the year hitting three hundred five. Want to guess Cody Bellinger's batting average in the three seasons since? 203. A full 100 points lower than he finished 2019. I think with any other team, Bellinger would popularly be described as a quote-unquote change of scenery candidate. And I'm not saying there's no merit to that because Not every hitter is going to love to work with either Robert Van Skoyak or Brant Brown or Aaron Bates. These are the Dodgers' hitting coaches last year. 2023 coaching staff is yet to be announced. But different hitters work well with different coaches. What's odd to me is how poorly Cody Bellinger has been able to adapt to a swing that was measurably affected by his shoulder injury in the 2020 National League Championship Series celebrating a home run, of all things, with Kike Hernandez. Whatever is keeping Bellinger from timing up the fastballs that he used to drive for power, I think it goes beyond coaches A, B, or C. Maybe the change of scenery helps for reasons beyond getting a new group of coaches. More likely, though, I think whatever impediment is between Cody Bellinger's ears will travel with him wherever he plays next. And, and look, the Dodgers might bring him back. I have no special insight here. If anything, my gut is telling me that they do tender him a contract. The Dodgers would be within their right to lowball him, make him the lowest offer possible, go the file and trial route, let an arbitrator look at things like, well, Bellinger's batting average, and just laugh him out of that hearing because he's not going to win. Bellinger still might wind up with an $18 million contract, and that's not bad for a guy who's been a zero-war player the last two seasons. Zero. That's as much as you've been worth to the Dodgers the last two seasons. That's as much as I've been worth to the Dodgers the last two seasons. Zero. Absolute zero. The point of this segment is that if the Dodgers do bring Cody Bellinger back, it's not because they expect him to revert back into an MVP, no matter what anybody says. It's because they expect some kind of incremental improvement on offense while Bellinger does his thing on defense and center field. He's a plus fielder. He's a plus base runner. He's a plus base stealer. That's what they're paying for. Now, As for Tyler Anderson... John Morosi reported last week that the Red Sox and the Angels were taking a look at him. And as I wrote in my newsletter, it didn't surprise me that a team looking to capitalize on Anderson's new career trajectory might offer more of an opportunity than the Dodgers would. Speaking of war, Tyler Anderson had a four war season in 2022, according to baseball reference. In his four previous seasons combined, he was worth less than that. Now One of those seasons was mostly lost to an injury, another was mostly lost to a pandemic. But three years and $39 million kind of sounds like a team-friendly deal for a four-war pitcher. However, signing Anderson will cost the Angels their second-highest draft pick because he rejected the Dodgers' qualifying offer Then you start to understand why his market might have been what it was. Under the terms of the qualifying offer, the Dodgers will get a compensation pick between the fourth and fifth rounds of next year's draft. Next year, had Anderson accepted that qualifying offer, he would not have been eligible to receive one. You can only receive a qualifying offer once in your career. And that's why I thought Anderson might be tempted to come back. It's because there would be no requirement that the team that signed Anderson a year from now give up their draft pick like the Angels will have to do now. If anything, I'm just surprised Anderson signed so quickly. He seems like the kind of pitcher that the... Teams that are pursuing Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom, Carlos Rodan, those more prototypical number one or number two type starters, kind of pivot to the Tyler Andersons of the free agent world if they happen to lose out. And at that point, you know, their agents have been talking to executives throughout the process. Maybe those teams that were only planning to spend say, $30 million on their top free agent pitcher target are now talking about $35 million. And that money can trickle down to guys like Tyler Anderson. But maybe Tyler Anderson didn't want to wait. Or maybe he didn't want to move. Enjoy those extra lanes on I-5, Tyler. They were not there a year ago. As for the Dodgers, this puts them in a position where they have to fill a couple rotation spots. We talked about Clayton Kershaw coming back. Reports are that he's going to take something in the neighborhood of a one-year contract for $20 million, which is exactly what MLB trade rumors projected for him, so that seems like a fair deal. Dustin May is coming back. Tony Gonsolin's is coming back. Julio Urias is coming back. That's four spots. Of course, you got Michael Grove and Ryan Pepio still around. I don't know that you need somebody with a staff workhorse type quality to join that group. Tyler Anderson has been durable in every full season that he's pitched healthy. He's not somebody who goes two times through the order and then gives the ball over to the bullpen. He's a pitch-to-contact type pitcher. Maybe the Dodgers like that quality about him, and they try to find that on the open market. Does that mean Justin Verlander? Does that mean Carlos Rodon? Maybe, but I don't think it's necessary because of the depth that the Dodgers have. Maybe they try to bring back Andrew Heaney, somebody whose injuries limited him last season, and even when he was healthy, he was basically a two-times-through-the-order starter. Jose Quintana is probably the most Tyler Anderson-like pitcher still on the market. Look, I don't know which way this domino will fall. I just know that the Dodgers are done signing starting pitchers for 2023. Actually, they're just getting started. On that note, I will sign off for today. The next episode will not wait nearly as long to drop as this one. Try to get Sean Green on here later in the week to discuss... Some of these topics that I've already covered today, but mostly a lot more. Stay tuned for that episode. Always nice to have Sean on. If you haven't already done so, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Every subscription helps. Thank you for listening.